Fellowship. I'm looking forward to a blessed week. And uh, we wanted to give him a full opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And so he's going to come and take Sunday school. So, Brother Jeremy Taylor, you come. Thank you, sir. That's yours, and I try to finish about 10 minutes. Okay. All right. Not a problem. All right. If you wouldn't mind taking your Bibles with me this morning, let's go over to the book of Isaiah, shall we? Isaiah chapter number 59 this morning. Isaiah 59. It is good to be in the Lord's house and uh, looking forward to the week together. And uh, I'll do my best to get around and uh, meet each and every one. Hopefully remember some names. I'm not guaranteeing any things uh, with that, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And um, do would ask that you pray for us this week. That we'll just follow the leadership of the Lord and be able to give exactly what we need to be able to draw closer to Him. Isaiah 59 this morning, you've reached your place. Let's look together in verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 59 in verse number 1. The Bible says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Our Father, this morning we thank you for the privilege of being gathered together. God, we thank you for this church, for these dear folks. Thank you for their generosity, the hospitality that they've already shown towards my family and I. And God, we're asking that you help us this week. Pray that you might meet with us, speak to our hearts, Dear God, me included, I, I, I want to be better when this week is done than what I started. And God, I pray that you'll work in my heart, you'll work within our midst. Dear Lord, you'd have liberty to do all that you desire to do. And God, we're looking forward to it as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice with me in verse number 1, the Bible says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. The, the picture here is of somebody that has perhaps a handicap or an issue, uh, uh, the idea of palsy or something where they have a, a, a problem to where they're not able. They're, they don't have the capability of being able to reach down and help and get somebody to the point to where they're able to rescue them the way they need to be. The Bible says the Lord's hand is not shortened. God does not have palsy. God does not have an issue. God is able to take all of us right where we are and help us in the things that we deal with. God is very, very capable of dealing with us in our lives and rescuing us, honestly, from our situations and our circumstances. And so he says there, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And then it goes on to say, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The idea of a heavy ear, that's not really a term we use often in our modern vernacular, and yet here's what it means. It started out dealing with a person's tongue, somebody who uh, was perhaps mute or what we might call uh, clinically dumb. They cannot speak. They, they don't have the words. And often a person's speech is directly affected by their hearing. Uh, I, I had a grandma who uh, is a very dear lady and those things, but in her older years, she began to lose her hearing to the point of, my dad always said about her, you could, she couldn't hear it thunder in a tin barn. I mean, she just literally couldn't hear, and so you'd have to sit across the table from Grandma and write letters back and forth in order to communicate. And because she lost her hearing, she couldn't pronounce her words. She really lost the ability to be able to uh, speak clearly and understand. And we would understand that people's hearing does affect their speech. You go to a foreign country like England or Australia, and their accent is very affected by how they hear. They end up beginning with dialects and things of that nature because of the way they hear things is the way they began to learn to pronounce issues and things. And say, what, what are you getting at, preacher? All right, the idea of a heavy 
deal. It had to do with a person's tongue. But because hearing is affected by that, they began to talk about a person's ear being heavy. It's being sensible. It doesn't work right. And God, the Bible says, Isaiah here, about God, it says it's not just the fact that he does, his, his, his hand is not shortened, and it's not the issue that his earring doesn't work. And so he's trying to get a point across. The issue when it comes to our relationship with the Lord the issue is not God's abilities. It's not the fact that God can't reach down and help us. The issue is not that God's not hearing us. So if our relationship is not what it ought to be, then, ladies and gentlemen, the problem is not God. In fact, Isaiah says this in the next verse. Look in verse 2. We're going somewhere with this. Look in verse number 2. He says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So the issue is not God. Isaiah said there's two problems here. Number one of them is the fact that there's sin. And the Bible says that sin has caused him to hide his face. Now that's an interesting issue because the truth of the matter is When it comes to sin and the idea of God hiding his face, often in days gone by when somebody would come before a king, if a king was to give approval of what he was hearing from a servant or a subject or a citizen of the country, if if the king liked what he was hearing and agreed with it, he would show his face to them and look and even maybe smile and nod as approval of them. If he de- they didn't have his approval, what he would do is he would turn his face and not look at them. There's no approval there. He doesn't appreciate. He, the request is denied. He doesn't like what's being dealt with and gone on. And so the Bible says that our sin has caused God to hide his face. He doesn't approve. But then there's another thing here before that. The Bible says that his iniquity, our iniquity, have separated us between us and our God. Now Isaiah, under the inspiration of God when he wrote this, separates these two things. Iniquity and sin. Now I'll be honest with you, for years... I looked at that, and every time I read my Bible, I just looked at iniquity as if it was a synonym in your Bible of sin, transgression, wrongdoing, that kind of stuff. And just kind of, I'm not bragging, I'm just being honest with you this morning. I'd read my Bible, read through it, go through it and say, okay, got it, and move on. And then it dawned on me one day. And reading the Scriptures, God specifically mentions These two issues, iniquity and sin, as separate items. In fact, you might be interested to know that in your Bible, the words sin and iniquity are used in one verse 72 different times together and they're listed as separate issues. 72 different times in your Bible. Let's look this morning. we got a few moments. Let's take our Bibles and let's just look at some Scripture this morning and see this for ourselves. I, I think it would do us some good this morning to see it with our own eyes. And so go over with me, if you would, Exodus 34. Let's start there. We'll not look at all 72 verses this morning, but we will look at just a handful. Let's look at a handful of verses. Go over to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, and look down with me, if you would. And verse number 9, Exodus 34, verse 9, the Bible says this, And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon, now notice this, our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Go over to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16 this morning. Leviticus chapter 16. 
Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. Leviticus 16, verse 21. The Bible says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And so again, God lists. There's iniquities, there's transgressions, there's sin. He lists these as separate issues. Go over to Job with me. Job 33 this morning. Job chapter 33, and look with me in verse 9. Job 33, verse 9. The Bible says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Again, the separation of these ideas. Okay, go over to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. Psalm 38, verse 18. Psalm 38, verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Go over to Proverbs chapter 5. We're just, just going to look at a couple more. I want you to see this. And I, the Bible is not short. These aren't all listed in the book of Exodus or all in the book of Psalms or just one location. Actually, having sin and iniquity listed are found throughout the Bible. It's often repeated this way. Okay, so, uh, look in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 22. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 22. The Bible says this. It says, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Let's go over to the New Testament, shall we? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. We'll fast forward and go to Hebrews chapter number 8 this morning. Hebrews chapter 8, and look down with me, if you would, in verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 says a very similar statement about him not remembering their sins or their iniquities. You might find it interesting, but the Bible says in, in, in throughout the scriptures, the word iniquity is found 334 times in your King James Bible. Now, if you're like me, and you just kind of glossed over that forever and said, okay, there's sin, there's iniquity, there's transgression, there's wrongdoings, there's evil, and, we, and so forth, and just moved on, we miss a very real principle. We miss something that we ought to get a hold of. And if God uses anything in the Word of God, I mean, we do have a word-for-word -word Bible. And ladies and gentlemen, if that being the case... And God uses this word 334 times. I think it would help you and I in our understanding of the scriptures to get a hold of this issue of iniquity. Because the Bible teaches this is the cause that has separated us from our God. And may I remind you that Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2 is written to God's people. It's written to the nation of Israel as God's people and specifically the Bible says our iniquity has separated us from your God. In other words, it's a personal issue. This is to save people. This isn't just talking about lost folks. We often use that verse in the context of salvation and I don't think there's a wrong application there, but I do think the context deals for you and I that this is the people of God. These are those who are saved, those who belong to the Lord, and ladies and gentlemen, it is our iniquity. So as a Christian, allowing sin into our life causes him to hide his face. But allowing iniquity into our lives has caused a separation between us and Him. And I think we'd do well this morning for just a few moments 
to look at this issue of our iniquities. So let me give you some things this morning that hopefully be a blessing and a help to you. I know it helped me looking through it. And so let's look first of all, shall we, about the identity of our iniquity. The identity. Let's, let's figure out what, I, what, what iniquity is. Okay? In dealing with these words, we know from the Bible that the word sin, we know what it means. Not just the definition of sin, but the very concept. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible teaches you and I that sin is a breaking or a violation of the, of the commandments of God. God gives a standard, God gives a law, and when you and I break that, it is a sin. Okay, James chapter 4, verse 7, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if we're going to categorize sin, we could categorize it in one of two ways. Sin is either an act of commission, it is something you do that is against the Lord, and therefore you have violated what he said to do or not to do, and therefore it's an act. Okay, it's an act of something you do, or as James 4, 7 says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. So there is the sin of what we call commission, something you do, or there's the sin of omission, something you failed to do. We, we're all on the same page so far, okay? So, that is sin. Well, what is transgression, preacher? Transgression in the Bible is always a violation of the principles and the law of God. You have transgressed, you have violated the law that God has set in His Word. Sin is something you do or don't do. Transgression is a violation of the standard, the law that God has set forth. Let me read you a verse or two. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says this, Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 4, verse 15, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, the Bible says there is no transgression. So a transgression, according to the Scriptures, is a violation of the law of God. So sin is something you do or don't do. Transgression is a violation. It is a breaking of the law. You say, okay, preacher, we got it. What is iniquity? If iniquity causes us to be separated from the Lord, what is iniquity? Take your Bible and let's look at a verse and go over to Psalm 66 with me this morning. Psalm 66. And Psalm 66, verse number 18. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity, now notice this, in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Notice where it takes place. In the heart. In fact, if we were to go over to Matthew 23, verse 28, we would find that it is within the heart that man is full of hypocrisies and iniquity. The Bible teaches in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 24, it says those that commit, uh, uh, commit iniquity have turned from righteous to unrighteous. And, and where does a person make that decision to do? I'll tell you, it takes place in the heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do you understand with me this morning? Let me give you the definition, the idea of iniquity. Iniquity is a condition of our heart. You see, sin is something you do or don't do against the Lord. Transgression is a violation of God's standard and God's law. But iniquity 
is more categorized and described in the Bible as a condition within more than an act without. Does that make sense to us this morning? It is a condition on the inside of who we are and what we're dealing with. So you have sin, transgression, and iniquity. Iniquity takes place on, our, on the inside. It is something we go through. It is a condition of our heart. If you and I have a heart that has grown cold and indifferent to the Lord, if we have a heart that's not hot and moved towards God, if we're distant from Him, perhaps... Uh, Brother Bradshaw said it this morning about having revival and the fact of being closer uh, and more in tune with the Lord at one point than what we are now. Ladies and gentlemen, if that is true, if we have been at one time in our lives closer and more in tune and more in fellowship with God than what we are now, somewhere in our heart, iniquity has begun to set in. Now, if we're not careful, we'll start looking at this idea and think, well, you know, sin and transgression and iniquity is, is really for all those people that are, are on drugs and bar hopping and running the streets and doing that kind of stuff. But do you realize this morning that right here in this room, even this preacher, all of us together, can allow iniquity to set into our heart and we not even really fully recognize it. I'll be honest with you this morning. More times than I'd like to confess, I can get to the point where I become mechanical, routine. It's not that my heart is set on sin. It's not that I have a, a, a desire to go into the world and do things. It's just not being in tune with Him like I ought to be. Just not being hot, not, not having my heart moved and stirred. Let's, let's just be honest this morning. We can get cold and indifferent towards church. We can get cold and never well, we come because it's our habit. And there's nothing wrong with having good habits. But I tell you, it's a whole lot better when we come with a heart that's in tune with Him, that yearns for Him, that loves Him, that wants Him. It's a whole lot better when we do it because our heart's in it than we just do it because, well, that's what we do. Uh, my, my wife loves when I do things for her. She hates when I publicly address her and things like this, so uh, I don't know what to tell her. But she likes when I, and, it, and there are things that I do because it's my responsibility. And I'll be honest, there's things that I do out of habit. But it means a whole lot more to her when I do things for her because my heart's in it. And I've set my heart and my affection. And it doesn't have to be something astronomical. It can be a little note. It can be a gesture. It can be going to the uh, store and grabbing her a soda or, or whatever. Just some little thing. But it comes from the heart. And sometimes we're in dire need just to step back. And it's not really about all the sin in our life. It's not necessarily that we have set our attention and thumbed our nose at God and we're looking to violate His law. As God's people, before any of those things come into our life, it usually sets in within our heart in iniquity. And we become indifferent and routine and mechanical. And it would do us well to step back and say, Lord, search my heart. Is there iniquity that I'm not aware of? Is there a condition in my heart that I really haven't even noticed or picked up on that is drawing me away from you? 
And so there's the identity this morning of iniquity. Let me also talk to you about the impact of iniquity. Because iniquity has a dire impact on us. I, I, I don't know about you, but at home, here's what I tend to do. A lot of times, if I'm, I'm not careful, we preach against sin, and we ought to, and we try to keep people aware of sin and their lives and that kind of stuff. But I tell you, I have found myself, as a preacher, the older I get and the longer I go, start trying to preach to people's heart because it's out of the heart that sin comes forth. Matthew chapter 15 is very clear. For out of the abundance of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornication. That, that sin comes forth here. And if we can catch it here, we can cut a lot of things off and help our focus and our attention be where it ought to be. Iniquity has a grave impact. Let me talk to you first of all about the personal impact. Again, Without trying to be super repetitive this morning, the Bible teaches it is iniquity that separates us. So, so we allow iniquity and we just kind of lose our zeal and we lose that passion we have for the things of the Lord and our walk with God. And before you know it, we start treating our Bible reading and our devotional time and church time and our worship time. And we treat those things more as a responsibility or a duty that we get done, and as long as we do them, we're okay, instead of realizing that, hey, this is what I'm here for. I get to spend time with the God of all creation who loves me and cares about me. And, and, and to have that drawing of our heart, if we're not careful, we'll get routine in it. And when that does, that begins to separate us. We're no longer close to him like we were. Oh, again, we're not maybe in the world, and we're not out here doing all kind of things, but we're just not where we were. And it has a grave personal impact upon our lives and our walk with Him. So, so there's a personal impact. Psalm 32, verse 5 says this, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten alone with the Lord and spent some time with Him, got on your face with God, and started confessing some sin and some things? And the Bible tells us we ought to, by the way. I think sometimes we, we're, we're so generic in, in our time with the Lord. We say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Of my sins and we move on but first John chapter 1 verse 9 teaches you and I that if we'll confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness you know what we're often after we're often after the forgiveness but the forgiveness comes when we do some confessing I, I, I've heard people say well preacher I want you to know right now I'm saved child of God and I don't have to confess my sins anymore. I, I tell you, and I, I had somebody long ago look me in the eye and say, well, you know, I, I don't have to tell God what my sins are. He knows them. Well, of course God knows. The issue is not us informing God. The issue is us coming clean with God. And you see, there is a judicial forgiveness. When I got saved, I stood before the Lord, and as a judge, I accepted His payment for my sins. And ladies and gentlemen, I was declared justified before God, and my sins in a judicial setting were forgiven for all eternity. <laughs> Past, present, future was forgiven. But as a child of God, I stand before my Father. Not a judge, stand before my Father. And there are times in which I have to talk to my Father and get things right. Amen. The model prayer listed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It goes on this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a confession. Not to a judge, but to our Father. And there are times as a child that I'm not always the child I ought to be. My parents were here today, they would nod and say, absolutely. But I hadn't always been the Christian that I ought to be. And there's sometimes I allow things and I get out of tune with him and I just need to go and I need to do some confession. The Bible teaches that if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We're interested in that. But how often do we come and spend some time with the Lord and deal with the condition of our heart. How often do we confess our iniquity? God, my heart isn't right. My heart isn't in love with you like it ought to be. I don't long for your word like I should. God, I've, I've taken church for granted. I've not appreciated the preaching and the work that you've given to our pastor to be able to teach and feed me as one of your people. God, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate that in my heart. The gratitude uh, is not there. How often do we get on our face and deal with the iniquity that is there? I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've gotten up out of a time with the Lord and confessed some sin in my life, walk out and feel like, man, something's just not right. I mean, I confess my sins, and I'm not talking about always going on feelings and stuff. Please don't misunderstand. But I'm just, man, something's just, and I'm not so convinced sometimes it's because we want to go through the list and check it off as items of sin when really we missed one vital part, and that's the issue of our heart. And so there's a personal impact. Iniquity in our life will cause us to be distant from the Lord. And it'll separate us from us and Him. And as Isaiah said, if there's a separation between us and God, the issue is not God's fault. God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. The issue is not God. So there's only one other factor that needs to look at. And it's me. And if it's not just outright sin, what about iniquity? What about my heart? There's a personal impact. Let me also talk to you this morning about a perpetual impact. Take your Bible with me and let's go over to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. Exodus chapter 20, would you? Exodus 20. Please don't raise your hand because I wouldn't dare embarrass anybody. And I've I, I done that a couple of times over the years and I, even at home. And I say that and forget to tell people don't raise their hand. And then I, 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 wouldn't, I don't want to do that, all right? So please don't raise your hand. But I do want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever heard that God visits the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations? Okay. Do you know that's not what it says? I, I've heard that for years. Well, God will visit the sins of the fathers into the third. That's not what it says. It says God visits the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of them that hate him. Do you understand with me this morning that every one of us will stand before the Lord and answer for our own sin? We go over to Ezekiel this morning and look very clearly in chapter 18. The nation of Israel was put into captivity and they began to gripe and complain and say, well, this isn't fair. This isn't right. We're suffering for our father's sin. And they use the Proverbs about eating sour grapes and have their teeth turned on that. And God says, stop. <laughs> stop that right now. You're not in captivity because of your father's sins. 
You're in captivity because of your sins and your disobedience. You're suffering. You're going through what you're going through, not because of somebody else. And we could go over to Romans chapter 2 this morning. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth is every one of us is going to stand before God and give an account of himself before the Lord. I've got two boys that are with me this week, and unfortunately, they're more like their daddy than their mama. <laughs> and they're as ornery as they know how to be. But ultimately, one day, they're going to stand before God and give an account of themselves, their actions, their lives before a holy, righteous God. They're not going to stand before God and give an account of my sin. And I won't stand and give an account of their sin. But it is the iniquity. You're there in Exodus 20? Look with me, would you? I'll get there in just a moment. Exodus chapter number 20. Look with me in verse number 5, would you? Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now notice this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now the word hate here does not mean to have malice, anger, or bitterness toward God. It's not the idea of sticking your fist in the face of God and saying, I don't like you. The idea to hate is the idea of not loving, it's, 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 it's a priority issue. It's not loving him supremely. Okay, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Bible says that he does not hate father and mother and wife and children, cannot be my disciple. Well, God doesn't want me to hate my wife. I mean, that's against Ephesians chapter 5. I'm to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. God doesn't want me to hate her Here's the issue. God wants me to love him even more than I love her. That's a priority issue. So when God says that he's going to visit the iniquity under the third and fourth generations of them that hate him, those that don't put him first, those that don't put him as the supreme priority in their life, guess what? It is a manifestation of of the condition of their heart. And while my children will stand before the Lord one day, giving account of their own sin, guess what is going to have an impact on them? The condition of my heart. They're going to pick up on. They're going to learn whether dad's serious or not about the things of God. They're going to learn whether I love him like I say I do. Or is all that dad does just show and pomp and circumstance and putting on a, a good presentation and that kind of stuff? You say, preacher, it's not really that good of a presentation. Well, that might be true, but you understand there's a difference between being public and being real and private. Right. And in the home, nobody's going to pick up on whether my heart is real. And genuine. And when I say I love God, it's more than just a word or some kind of show that's put on. It'll manifest itself in the home when the door's shut. Nobody else is around. And now, my kids know where my heart really is. That is what is visited. That's a scary thing as a parent. Well, I'm not, in the, I'm not going down to the grocery store and getting a six-pack, and I'm not, well, I don't know what y'all have in Missouri, but we have casinos all over Oklahoma and that kind of stuff. And, well, you know, I'm not going down to the casino, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. Well, that's wonderful. But there's more to having an impact than just the things you do or don't do. What about your heart this morning? Because there is a personal impact of iniquity. It separates us and causes us to be out of fellowship and not close to him like we once were. 
but it also has a perpetual impact. Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, third and fourth generation pick up on the condition of our heart. Let me also tell you this morning there's a profound impact. Take your Bible with me, go to Isaiah chapter 43, would you? Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 and verse number 24. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 43 verse 24 says, Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Now notice what the Lord says. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. There's a profound impact. Iniquity impacts us personally. It causes us to be separated. Iniquity has a perpetual impact. It impacts our family. But God's speaking to his people says that he is impacted by our iniquity. God says, I'm wearied. I don't know if you thought about this or not, but God said he was wearied with our iniquity. The very God who spoke everything into existence and never broke a sweat. The very God to whom the Bible says by all things exist. You see, God not only created everything, but God keeps everything in existence. The world as we know it, ladies and gentlemen, the very cellular structure to the, to the atoms and the bonds and the things that make uh, matter what it is, those things would not exist if it were not for God holding everything together okay he created everything by all things by him by all things exist but the thing that wearied him that word wearied means to be labored to grow tired you ever get tired of dealing with something <laughs> the same thing over and over and over again God says I'm wearied at the condition, not, not, not the sin. I'm wearied at the condition of the heart of my people. To think that I would do something in my life and in my heart after all that he's done for me after as good as he's been to me, not just in the sense of salvation, but I tell you, if all I had to claim this morning was the fact that he saved me and I never have to go to hell, I tell you, that's enough to be as eternally grateful as I can be. But I'm telling you, he, he's, he's a whole lot better than just salvation. I tell you, he keeps me going. He provides for me. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful father. And to think that I allow the condition of my heart to get crossways and cause him to get to the point where, man, I'm just tired of dealing with it. How many times has he pricked my heart trying to draw me closer to him? How many times has he pointed his finger and said, hey, you need to watch that. Hey, this isn't, this isn't about routine. It's not about going to your Bible and reading so many chapters and this and that and checking off the box and saying, I've done my religious obligation. It's not that. It's about sitting down and spending time with Him and knowing this is what He wants to tell me. It's about coming to church and listening to the man of God that God has given to shepherd my life and to learn a message from Him. Eh. Another Sunday. Eh, another day of reading my Bible. Eh, I've gone through my prayer list, done what I should. 
God says, ho, 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 hold on. Hold on. Is that really the kind of heart that you want to have? Oh, Lord, you know, I, I got things to do. I got to I, you know, go about my business. God says, I, I, I'm getting weary of dealing with that. That's a profound impact for you and I to understand that it's not just what we do, but it's the heart in which we do it that calls God to say, I'm wearied. So there's the identity. There's the impact. And let me say this this morning in closing. There's also the instruction. Would you take your Bible and go to Micah chapter 7 with me this morning? So the thing we want to do this morning is starting out the meeting today and looking at our heart. Just, Lord, where's my heart? Is my heart yearning for you? Does it desire you, spending time with you, loving you like I ought to? Or or have I become distant? Have I become cold? Have I been indifferent towards you? Well, if we have iniquity in our heart, what instruction does the Bible have? Let me, let me just read you a couple of verses. You're turning over there to Micah chapter 7 this morning. First of all, Psalm 51 verse 2, the Bible says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Brother Bradshaw read it this morning in Psalm 85 verse 20, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people and hast covered all their sins. Selah. You might find it interesting, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness is translated several other times in your Bible, the word iniquity. See, God just doesn't forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from that heart condition. God will get a hold of our heart if we'll let him, and he'll draw us closer to him, and he will revive us. He will encourage our heart to be what it ought to be. You're there in Micah chapter 7. Let me find it this morning quickly. Um, Won't you, if you would, look with me down in verse number 18. Micah chapter 7 and look with me in verse number 18. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 Here's what the Bible says. It says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The Bible says that the Lord is willing to pardon our iniquity. He's willing to subdue it. If we'll stay on our face before Him and and drawing close, Lord, help me. Don't, Don't let my heart get cold. God, don't let... Sometimes you know what a revival meeting does? It just keeps us from taking that step back. It it brings our attention. Oh, yeah, I know. Lord, I, I don't want to get mechanical. I don't want to get routine. I don't want to get into this idea where I just become kind of mundane and, and routine in what I do. And sometimes it's just a good reminder and about this issue of our heart, keeping it on fire as the term goes or keeping us in tune with him, however we want to word it this morning. And the truth of the matter is, God is willing to pardon our iniquity. He's willing. God doesn't. I'm so glad this morning that God doesn't hold a grudge. (laughs) I'm glad that he's willing to take, even when my heart isn't what it ought to be. I'm glad that he's there and he's willing to forgive and he's willing to help me. But I'll tell you that, it's not just that. He's willing to subdue it. He's willing to take our heart and that bent nature about us And he's willing to restrain it and keep it where it is if we allow him to. So what's the instruction? 
The instruction ought to be when we find ourselves praying to the Lord, it's not just about the sin, though that's right and we ought to confess, but it's beyond that. Lord, I've got a heart. Sometimes it's a heart of flesh. Sometimes it's, it can be carnal. Lord, I don't want to become routine. I don't want to be indifferent to you. I want to love you. I want to honor you. I want to appreciate you the way you deserve. So God, please just don't forgive my sin and deal with that. But might you deal with the iniquity of my heart? Might you keep my heart soft, yieldable, pliable towards you? I want to love you like I ought to from my heart. So God, forgive me of mine iniquity. Don't let it separate me from you. Our Father this morning, we sure appreciate you. Dear God, we're so grateful for the fact that you are a God who's willing to forgive not just our sin, but Father, when our heart gets carnal and cold, so grateful there's mercy and grace available. And might you help us this week to take a real thorough look at our own heart. Might we yield ourselves before you and allow you to search us. David said so long ago in Psalm 139, Lord, about search me and know me and try me. Lord, maybe we're not even aware of the real condition of our heart. We think we're doing okay. But Father, maybe we need to have our ears opened that you can speak to us and get a hold of our heart. There's certainly not a one of us today that couldn't love you more and couldn't be better than what we are. So Father, forgive us of our iniquity. Help our heart today to love you like we ought to. Bless the remaining of the day and all that we do. May you be glorified and honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.